Hello, my name's Jude Poyer. I'm a stuntman and film critic, a bit of a strange combination. And to my left is Miles Wood. And I'm also a film critic and here in Hong Kong. That's right. We both live in Hong Kong, and we're here to give you the audio commentary for Police Story 2, a Jackie Chan film back, made back in 1987. And uh, coming up, we'll see the logo for Golden Way, not Golden Harvest, but actually Jackie Chan's own production company, which he used to make films towards the end of the 80s, films like Police Story 2 and also Armor of God 2, Operation Condor. I guess he wanted to get more control over the films he was making. And what you're seeing now is a montage of highlights from the first Police Story. And on the soundtrack, you can hear the singing of Jackie Chan himself. That's it. He gets a lot of stick for his singing, but actually, I don't think he's too bad. He says that when he was training at Beijing Opera School, his, his sifus, his masters, thought uh, his talent, he wasn't the best fighter or best acrobat, but he was a pretty good singer, and uh, he seems to have clung on to that. I know he was shooting an MTV for a Mandarin song just about a month ago, a music video. Mm -hmm. And this song was actually used by the then-called Royal Hong Kong Police Force um, on its recruitment commercials. That's right. And, and even now, we, we have this uh, show in Hong Kong, something like Police File or Police Report. I guess it's a bit like Crime Watch in the UK, where crimes are reported and the public is urged to uh, scour their memories for any... Uh, reminisces if they saw a crime, if they can help solve a crime. And, and this is used, and also I think occasionally some of the horse racing programs in Hong <laughs> Kong use this tune too. Maybe that's the uh, Bill Tung connection, because Bill Tung, who we'll be seeing a lot of in this film, is uh, still on the TV doing horse racing commentary. And coming up now, we're about to see some unashamed product placement for a company which uh, Jackie Chan was had a long-running sponsorship deal with, Mitsubishi Motors. I believe that started with Cannonball Run 2. In the first Cannonball Run, Jackie Chan played a race car driver. Uh, it was strange. I could never work out whether he was playing Chinese because he spoke Cantonese or whether he was meant to be Japanese. But I guess it didn't matter to Hal Needham. And in that film, the first cannonball run, he drove a Subaru. Well, in part two, he was Mr. Mitsubishi. And here we see, like I said, product placement. And do we know what those trucks are actually doing here, Jude? I mean, is that some sort of illegal road race? Are they just driving as fast as they can to get to their destination or what? I have absolutely no idea, <laughs> to be quite honest. I don't know quite what they're doing illegally. It doesn't help because I don't know how to drive. But it seems like a very empty road. And if they want to overtake like that, I can't really see the problem. But you don't usually see country roads that quiet in Hong Kong. So I imagine they shot that on a Sunday morning. In, in Hong Kong, it's, it's very, very difficult for most filmmakers to get a location permit. And, of course, shooting scenes on the street and on roads, main thoroughfares, can be very difficult. So a lot of filmmakers, lesser filmmakers, will just go ahead and do it without telling anybody. They say it's easier to shoot without a permit than to apply for a permit and get it turned down. Jackie Chan, one of the few exceptions, he does complain nowadays that he has to shoot outside of Hong Kong because... 
Hong Kong's government, Hong Kong just can't accommodate the kind of scale that his films demand. But I think if he can shoot a scene like this, um, he gets a certain degree of cooperation that uh, not every filmmaker's afforded. Actually, the structure of this opening scene is quite interesting because it's flashing forward and flashing back in time. So he hasn't just kind of filmed it in a very straightforward way. Of course, he's deliberately obscured the identity of the uh, motorcyclist. That's who we right. don't realise is Jackie. In fact, we're led to believe it's not him because we're seeing him being grilled by his superiors. That's a, that's a good point. And on the uh, the international version, certainly the version that came out on video in the UK, uh, no uh, footage from Police Story Part 1 was used. So you got this sequence at the beginning with just a voiceover of Jackie's character, Karkoy, or Kevin, as he's known in the English dub, being reprimanded for his actions at the end of the first film. I see the British flag, the Union Jack, flying through, uh, through the window there. Um, not anymore in Hong Kong. Of course, everybody knows Hong Kong went back uh, to China in 1997. Oh, there's Bill Lau, uh, a Hong Kong comedy player. Rem very, very uh, memorable performance in uh, Mr. Vampire, I think, is probably his best performance. Yeah. But uh, yes, that's right. At the time, this was the Royal Hong Kong Police Force, and we do see evidence of the Brits and the Colonials in this movie. Can be quite heavy-handed in other movies. They like to to show uh, usually a, a middle-aged, fat, balding, white guy speaking badly accented Cantonese telling off the Chinese policeman. Um, this movie's got a scene similar to that, but it's not as bitter as, as in other movies. Now we find ourselves in Taipo, where Jackie's character has been called to police a traffic accident. I remember in, in the first police story, he gets reprimanded and... And he ends up working at a New Territories uh, cop shop where nothing goes on. And uh, mm -hmm. I guess he's still in the New Territories here if he's in Taipo, which is uh, one of the new towns in the New Territories. This is not central Hong Kong or Kowloon. And no. we just saw Maggie Chung. Yeah, we got Maggie Chung as his girlfriend. Now, I'm not quite sure how she manages to get on the scene as quickly as he did. Yeah, she's very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> she's obviously got friends on the inside. You'll, uh, you'll hear people in Hong Kong, some people disgruntledly, saying that uh, police are merely triads with a badge, uh, but not in a Jackie Chan film. A lot of Hong Kong films, of course, are made with underworld figures in the background, and, of, of course, they don't want to uh, show the police in too good a light, but not a Jackie Chan film, so he's not going to drink on the job, wouldn't talk on a mobile phone, although I've seen that happen in Hong Kong too many times. Police always shown in a good light in a Jackie Chan film. And here we have Charlie Cho, a popular character actor. And with him, we have Cho Yun. Both, who, of course, from reprising their roles from the first police story. And Cho Yun has been a director from way back in the 1950s, where, when he made such films as The Great Devotion, and in the 60s, uh, when he did... Black Rose, and a number of other films with uh, Chan Po Chu. 
and in the 70s uh, when he directed Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan. That's which, a Shaw Brothers film, isn't it? Yeah, and it actually got released in England as well in 1973. So those mm. were the days. <laughs> and he's still to be seen on uh, TV these days, still recognisable, put on a bit of weight, looking older, understandably, but uh, he's a staple actor of uh, soap operas on TVB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he also directed a film with Chow Yun-Fat called Diary of a Big Man. It might be worth pointing out here that uh, both Jackie and Maggie are actually not voicing their own roles. They're both being dubbed by other artists. That's it. It's it's quite normal at the time, of course. Hong Kong films were shot silently, and a lot of films still are. I think Super Cop was the first big movie to be shot with sync sound, Police Story 3. And uh, a lot of stars like Jet Li and uh, Jackie Chan had uh, regular voice doubles for them. So the guy did his own stunts, but he had a regular guy who did his voice for him. Now, I'm not too clear, but didn't that guy play a lawyer in the first police story uh, for, for Choi Yun? And uh, I think you can get disbarred for this kind of behavior, <laughs> but it uh, doesn't seem to matter to this guy. He's certainly playing the part very broadly. I mean, if you consider the plot of this film, it could very easily be turned into a, a very serious crime drama, but I think the actors in particular kind of keep it very light. He is kind of playing to the back rows. Yeah. I think you have to wait until uh, Crime Story to see a more serious uh, edge to a police cop film in in Hong Kong. Crime Story being a a Jackie Chan film directed by Kirk Wong and uh, much more gritty. I guess you could say much more. There's elements of detective work in this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the character Karkoy certainly shows that he's got a brain and he doesn't mind using that, not just his fists and his feet. But I think you had to wait until Crime Story till you really saw Jackie Chan playing a cop character who really does some sleuthing. And here playing uh, Maggie's mother, I think, or is it his aunt? her aunt or mother? I'm not sure. Her mother, I think. Yeah, anyway, it's Chow Chow, who was uh, actress from... Long ago, in fact, uh, some of you might recognize her from her roles in films like One-Armed Swordsman, directed by Chang Che. And you know what? I've seen her a couple of times walking her dogs in Wan Chai by Morrison Hill Road, so there you go. It's funny, a lot of the supporting players in this film uh, come from the first police story. They do reprise their roles. Usually you don't get that kind of continuity with a lot of Hong Kong sequels. I think it says something about Jackie Chan's influence that he can get uh, actors to reprise their roles, sometimes which are quite insignificant, because really this movie is a showcase for Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, a lot of the other roles uh, in this film, you see actors playing small parts who went on to much bigger things. We'll be talking more about that later. And then, of course, there are a lot of stuntmen playing characters in this film. That's certainly going to get you disbarred. Bit of Cantonese bad language there. That's quite strong for uh, a Jackie Chan film. That that word, which I'm not going to repeat, actually translates to death to all of your family. Sounds pretty inoffensive to a Westerner, but to, to a Chinese it's quite strong.
And uh, we heard Jackie just called May's mother auntie. Now, that's not to suggest there's some funny business going on in the family. It's just very, very normal and, and important in Chinese culture that elders are shown respect. He wouldn't call her uh, by her given name. Auntie, uncle, there's lots of that, big brother. Uh, in Cantonese, uh, it's, it's very important to, to show respect to your elders, and there's lots of different words to describe that, and the English word auntie is used here. Amazing geographical jump here from uh, around Kowloon Tong to uh, Wan Chai. And that building just behind Jackie, I believe, is the uh, Hong Kong Academy for the Performing Arts. So he's managed to cross the harbor. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if this building he's going to run into here was ever a restaurant or if it was actually kind of constructed as a set for the film. I think so, you know, and, and apparently that, that stunt took about two weeks to set up, and once again, not many filmmakers would be allowed to shoot a sequence like that on such a major road. That's Gloucester Road, isn't it, mm -hmm. in, in Hong Kong? I think it's important that we have a scrap early on in, in the film, even though it's quite incidental to the, the main plot about the bombing, because uh, the audience kind of demands a good fight in the first 15 minutes of a Jackie film. All these guys, veteran uh, stuntmen playing the heavies here, and, and uh, most of them still working in the business. Now, Jude, you probably participated in a number of uh, very similar fight scenes for movies. Uh, can you share with us some uh, insights onto how some of, the, uh, some of this is staged? Well, the thing is, in, in Hong Kong, it, it's all done uh, in montage. You, do it sh you shoot it generally shot by shot. You don't shoot masters. Uh, a long fight sequence with five different cameras and then edit it. Mm -hmm. Usually a maximum of two cameras per technique, as it were. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it's pieced together. And that's how you can get that kind of speed and intensity and uh, accuracy. Now, I've speculated how does he crack those glasses lens with a fist. <laughs> I guess that uh, the, the lens of the glasses is very thick glass or plastic. And maybe Jackie's got a, a metal uh, spike or a nail concealed in his fist. That would uh, get the effect. That's how I try and achieve it, but I wouldn't want to be insuring Charlie Cho. This <laughs> poor guy bangs his head on the concrete. Very difficult not to do that. Nasty injury. And that restaurant certainly won't be opening for business again the next day. Interesting touch with the pigeons there. Nice directorial touch there. Of course, uh, the film after this that Jackie uh, went ahead with, I think... Uh, was possibly miracles, if I'm not mistaken, as director. Uh -huh. And uh, that really was his uh, showcase as a director. He really pushed himself there to show that he could move the camera and uh, he wasn't just about shooting action scenes. Well, I think we can probably see it here with the, uh, the camera doing a 360-degree circumference around here. And uh, later on, I think we see the, the start of Jackie's love affair with the Steadicam uh -huh. uh, in a later scene. But uh, certainly, yes, he does want to put the camera to use. He's not just interested in uh, static shots. Maybe we could discuss at this time Jackie's actual role as director of this film. Uh, on many of his films, uh, he directs the action sequences where and passes the task of doing the dialogue sequences to other people, notably Gordon Chan, who he's worked with on a number of occasions. Um, but here, he is the, uh, the only credited director, and 
Do you think he actually uh, was the sole person in charge of the film? I think he did um, direct the film, absolutely, yes. I think the fact is Jackie Chan is not a bad director. And uh, maybe it's a case of he's a veteran of the industry and, and he knows himself and he thinks, well, nobody knows Jackie Chan better than I do. And perhaps there's a sense that when it comes to doing the action scenes, he's happy for the drama to be handled by somebody like Gordon Chan or Benny Chan. But uh, the action he should be doing. Otherwise, he's got more control. And I think on this film, the police story films, parts one and two certainly, are the only movies where Jackie really delivers and only self-directed movies where he delivers a really intense performance where he pushes himself the other times when he plays characters who sometimes act bordering on the psychotic is when Sammo Hong directs him why does Jackie trust Sammo to do that well of course Sammo's his big brother from opera school there's a respect there's a trust and they know each other maybe Jackie doesn't feel comfortable with uh, directors who don't know him that long star fairy here yeah, this is Jackie doing his bit for the uh, Hong, Tong, Hong Kong Tourist uh, Association, I think. The, a nice shot of the harbour and then this scene on the Star Ferry. And the Star Ferry hasn't been used that much in, in Hong Kong films considering how important it is to tourists and, and uh, what a, a key th uh, logo of Hong Kong it is in a way. Uh, the only action scene that I can think of being shot on this was the Chiu Man Chuk movie Fist Power. <laughs> And uh, I was the guy getting beaten up by Chiu Manchuk, and I got thrown off the Star Ferry, so that's why I remember that one. And we come to another amazing geographical leap in a second. Yeah, here we go. We're now in Chun Mun, which... Uh, that's it, like northwest. Yeah, it's about an, an hour's ride away on the MTR, which the MTR, for those who don't know, is Hong Kong's version of the uh, London Underground. But uh, again, he's making Hong Kong look very plush and glamorous. That's right. We had the shanty town in the first film. Yeah. There's nothing as gritty as that in this movie. Uh, and this is an interesting scene because we see uh, a few small cameo appearances coming up from notable Hong Kong performers and also... Uh, some people who went on to, to bigger things. What I find really funny about this sequence is this is the first time in the, the Police Story series that Karkoy really plays everything by the book, and he's no longer a policeman. And here on the left, you can see Wu Ma, who, funnily enough, appeared with uh, Chow Chow in Trail of the Broken Blade. Shaw Brothers film. Yeah, and of course was also in Golden Swallow, but I guess most of you will remember him for a Chinese ghost story. And the Lucky Star movies as well. I think yeah, I mean, he also directed a couple of dozen movies of his own over the past uh, 20 years, including Deaf and Mute Heroine and Dead and the Deadly. And uh, he's still active in the film business. For a while he was sporting a pretty ghastly ponytail. <laughs> But uh, he's still around. Uh, Wu Ma is his English name taken from the Mandarin. He's known in, in Hong Kong as Ma. And uh, typical Hong Kong reaction here to a, a fire alarm going off is people stick their fingers in their ears and most of them carry on doing what they want to do regardless. I remember I lived in an apartment building where the fire alarm would go off once every couple of weeks and people got so blasé to the whole thing and I think I was the only person 
who left the building, or at least I was the only person who left the building by the stairs. <laughs> the other people who bothered took the lift. Um, But I guess you do get a sense watching this that for a policeman to take such action, if it turns out to be a hoax, he could really be in, in the brown stuff. But uh, Jackie's got nothing to lose. And uh, that's part of the appeal. I guess it's a little bit like uh, License to Kill in the James Bond film. It's once he's relinquished that license, mm-hmm. it feels he can go ahead and do what he wants. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. But there are also a couple of other moments in this film that... Remind me of the Bond movies. Mm -hmm. There's also a hint of the Bond score, I think, pops up at one time. That's right, absolutely. And uh, another amazing thing about this film is the cops don't seem to be uh, restricted by which district they operate over or preside over. They're there wherever the problem is. Which is curious in a way because, I mean, this is not going to be noticed by uh, international viewers. I mean, those people who are watching this DVD in England certainly won't notice these geographical switches, but locals will certainly be very aware of them. And that's, I think they have to just suspend their disbelief. And to an extent, I don't want to sound uh, too uh, sight and sound, but I think Jackie's meant to just embody the spirit of the police force or how they ought to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, he's very much an everyman, but uh, he wants to solve crimes wherever they are. More Mitsubishi plugging going on in the background, very shameless stuff. And, and here, interesting role reversal. In this time, Karkoy is quoting the book that is senior, not the other way around. And this guy... Jackie Chan fans will know is Ken Lo, Loai Gong, who uh, stole the show at the end of Drunken Master 2. And uh, at the time, he was just Jackie Chan's bodyguard, and he was uh, a member of the Jackie Chan stunt team. And nowadays, uh, the Jackie Chan stunt team uh, get paid per film, but in those days, they were on a salary. So I guess it made sense for them to uh, fill small roles in the movies because they were available and uh, wouldn't cost them too much. Very, very uh, impressive touch here, I think, uh, from a directing point of view, and editing as well. The ball ticking like a bomb ticking away. It's little touches like that, which you tend not to see in, uh, in Hong Kong films these days, but maybe that's just because people just don't have the time. And here we see the, uh, the token white guy bomb disposal officer, but for, uh, strangely enough, a lot of the bomb disposal officers are Westerners mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. Not that there's many explosions going off, but Westerners are present doing that job. I guess those interiors we see there are studio sets where the places get demolished. And uh... That's shameless. You talk about time, Jude. Um, have you any idea what the shooting schedule would be for a film like this? 
Um, I'm not sure about Police Story 2, but a film like this, and certainly a Jackie Chan film, you're talking about months, maybe half a year for a film like this. I get the feeling that this film was possibly rushed a bit towards the end to, to finish it off, but uh, the thing is, these days, Hong Kong films, other than Jackie Chan films, Jackie Chan is one of the few people who can still take months, maybe even a year, for a, for a Hong Kong project. A lot of movies, action movies in Hong Kong now are shot the whole film is shot in about the same time that just one Jackie Chan action scene would be shot in. Uh, I've worked on films that were shot in eight days or 13 days for mm -hmm. a film with a lot of action. And uh, that's why a lot of the action style has changed. Even though Jackie Chan's films do contain a lot of camera setups, the editing's not that choppy. And uh, you can have a wide angle with a lot of intricate action going on. These days you don't really have that because most people, they still shoot montage, but they'll shoot three techniques, move the camera, shoot the next four techniques, cut it together, because the film's just got to get wrapped in a very short space of time. Interesting continuity error. There's Ken Lowe on the left of the screen. I <laughs> thought he was a fireman. Uh, we get more of this steady cam work here, the camera following the two actors. And uh, yeah, of course, it's not just a, a stylistic choice; it's also a time-saving choice as well. It basically saves you having to do numerous setups. That's right. But uh, steady cam shots, of course, can be a real pain to light. Uh, for example, lighting the inside of the office and getting it to match mm -hmm. the outside. Although the difficult. lighting is very flat in this That's film. That's right. Another cameo coming up, Blink, and you'll miss him in a second on the uh, left-hand side of the screen. That guy with the beard and the, the silly uh, baseball cap, tennis hat, is uh, Chen Chi Hua, a long-running producer of Jackie Chan. Uh, he even produced some of the Law Wei movies that Jackie Chan made uh, before he hit it big with Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and uh, Drunken Master. And uh, it's certainly true that you, you hear of actors having entourages and certainly movie stars having entourages. Jackie Chan isn't somebody with that big ego that he needs 50 people to be around him to make him feel good, but he is somebody that clearly uh, stays loyal to his crew, as it were, and that's why you'll see he's, uh, even though he's gone from kung fu actor making movies which didn't make money, shot in Korea, to Hollywood star. He still maintained the services of Willie Chan as his manager, and uh, Chen Chi of course, stayed with him for a long time, too. And here we are in the customs office, which, uh, for some reason, is soundproofed. I don't know where the customs offices are or whether they were using a dubbing studio at Golden Harvest as the set, but it wouldn't surprise me. Golden Harvest... Uh, studios and even the offices on the Golden Harvest lot in Diamond Hill, which has now sadly been flattened to the ground, did pop up as locations in movies. Of course, it saves time and it's very convenient to do it that way. If you look at Winners and Sinners, for example, the police station there, the exterior is actually the car park at Golden Harvest. And uh, 
here again we see Jackie showing more brain power. Um, Karkoy in the first police story film was noted for his bravery and his guts and his sense of, of, of right in doing the right thing. Here he's more of a detective. He's using his brain, but... Although he is essentially someone who solves the problems by using his, his strength and his martial arts skills rather than his uh, detective work. And even though Hong Kong has, has uh, quite a few vigilante films, you don't see many cop vigilante movies or policemen breaking the rules uh, in the way that, say, Dirty Harry did. Uh, of course, police story is nowhere near as strong as Dirty Harry, but... Um, Jackie, uh, he, he plays the character as a noble person who, who will break the rules and bend them in order to, to get the bad guy. And um, that's quite positive, I guess, for the police, because usually the police are either very boringly straight or they're in the background and the gangsters are the heroes in uh, Hong Kong films. But it's interesting that uh, if you look around this time, the action films that were coming out of the States, the Commandos and the Rambo films... This is much more of an everyman hero. I mean, uh, look at that obvious cutaway shot. The lighting doesn't really match up there. Uh, that's the old airport in Hong Kong, Kai Tak, which uh, we'll see them driving past later on in the film. Now, of course, the airport has moved from the centre of the city out onto an island, Lantau Island. We now have the uh, setup for a number of uh, toilet and fart jokes, which seem to st still proliferate in Hong Kong films, especially those, of course, of Wong Jing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think the international version might have got rid of some of these. Obviously, not suited to uh, Western taste, or perceived to be not suited to Western taste for the video market. Uh, but the funny thing is Hong Kong people on the whole do lap up these kind of scenes. Uh, certainly the Wong Jing. Wong Jing go, went through a phase a couple of years ago where people had to, how can I put it, eat dog poo. And, um, and nobody seemed to raise an eyebrow about that. <laughs> it's really quite unnecessary, actually. And it does seem to rest, I think, uneasily with the more serious and, and menacing aspects of the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some scenes in this film which are downright sadistic, and certainly the pain that's uh, uh, inflicted upon Jackie's character and Maggie Chung's character. But maybe uh, this was a, a, a Jackie Chan wearing his producer hat decision, thinking we've got to take the edge off some of these proceedings and we need these light-hearted moments, just like... In the first police story film, we had scenes which were cut from the original international releases, the infamous telephone scene where Jackie's juggling different telephones, and, uh, of course, there was this scene where Jackie managed to stand in a cow pat and do some moonwalking. <laughs> I think people like to see Jackie laugh and, and Asian audiences. Uh, even though Jackie's not a bad actor and he can be a... a very convincing, dramatic actor, and he certainly moved in that direction more recently with films like Accidental Spy. I think a lot of the time people do like to see a clown element to his films. And, of course, Jackie is uh, a 
great admirer of Buster Keaton, so he he does like to include these uh, slapstick elements in all his movies. And of course, we see that later on in the. Uh rather creative way of crossing the road he uses <laughs> involving two vehicles. There's a, a sequence in uh, Project A Part 2 which is uh, straight out of a Buster Keaton movie. I mean, literally, the idea comes from that, and that's the one where he's, uh, there's a party and he's upstairs and he's trying to get his hands on a necklace or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and th this, this scene, uh, this movie, after Project A2... Um, still has a little sense of that, the Jackie character hiding. And uh, later on in films like First Strike and uh, Mr. Nice Guy, Jackie did seem to spend a lot of his time running away from people. Mm -hmm. And uh, you might notice a few uh, Western faces amongst the, uh, the people seated at the conference table. Who are these people? Are they professional actors? Um, scraping a living, uh, sitting at desks in movies. Usually not the case in Hong Kong. A lot of those people are backpackers, people traveling through. And uh, the place where a lot of uh, casting agents do their uh, their scouting is Chongqing Mansions in Chim Sa Choi, which is uh, basically a concrete hell of very cheap and grotty uh, dormitories and euphemistically, I think, called guest houses, or that's a bit generous, but that's what they're called, guest houses, cheap hotels. People passing through stay there, and uh, they pay, I don't know, it's less than £10 a night for a private room. And uh, if they want to make some pocket money, they might just put on a suit and uh, sit at a desk for a day on a movie. Sometimes it, they'll, they'll seem very incongruous to a setting, and you'll see ponytailed guys who you'd expect to be wearing tie-dyed shirts, uh, wearing suits and sitting at conference tables in movies. But this one, the quality's a bit higher. The, the extras do seem to fit in. That's not always the case in a Hong Kong film. And... Uh, here the, the, the comedy, the music really is that sort of Buster Keaton style of canned music that you often get playing over them, those black and white films when you see them on TV. And uh, it's interesting that though Jackie uh, has a very good relationship with the police force, here he's doing something which is basically illegal, <laughs> even though his superior doesn't know that. And uh, look at that rain now... Uh, Real rain doesn't register on film, uh, and of course it's very difficult to schedule the, the raining scenes in your movie with the, the weatherman, so how do they do it in movies? Usually they just have guys with fire hoses shooting jets of very cold water and quite hard water into the air. And uh, Maggie Chung in one of her less glamorous moments, but this is the scene which really showcases her acting, or at least this is her acting moment in the film. Of course, this film was made before Maggie Jung really considered herself an actress. Uh, in her own words, uh, she didn't really know what she was doing at, at this time. And 
she only really began to learn the craft of acting, I think, in As Tears Go By, which actually was released before this film, but I think due to the shooting schedule would have undoubtedly be filmed after it. And here we get a bit more of that steady cam treatment. A long take, yes, that does mean that uh, it saves you a lot of setups, but also that means there's a continuity to, to Maggie's performance. Unsightly uh, shot there. But um, I think Maggie Jung is one of the few actresses in Hong Kong to have really mastered naturalistic acting. We talked about Charlie Cho's acting to the back rows. If, if you watch the movie Irma Vep, which is a French film in which Maggie played herself, she does come across very naturalistic in the film. It's very real. And uh, that's not a style of acting that a lot of Hong Kong players adopt. And indeed, after this film, she began to choose her roles more carefully, uh, playing parts in much more serious films, such as Stanley Kwan's Full Moon in New York and, of course, Wong Kar Wai's Days of Being Wild. And, and uh, although she did return to uh, to make uh, other commercial films occasionally, they were really uh, just jobs for a working actress. They, it wasn't really where her heart lay. It's kind of hokey, that uh, red-filtered shot going back to police story. I think most people who've seen the first film, when they see Maggie Jung and a moped, they know something embarrassing is going to happen. And I think the flashback was kind of unnecessary. And Yeah, I mean, it, al it almost looks like a fault in the film. It's kind of that infrared shot. It, uh, it really isn't the, uh, the best way to convey a flashback, I think. And uh, I think it's sad that you've got those kind of heavy-handed moments mm -hmm. in the same movie as those moments like with the... the the ball ticking like a bomb as it hits the floor. It's, it seems that some scenes had a lot of thought put into them and other ones, uh, I don't know, maybe Jackie Chan, the producer, just felt the audience needed to be reminded there. And there was a piece of pure slapstick with him smashing the, the window in the door with the umbrella. In the background through the glass there, we see stuntman... A uh, long-time uh, Jackie Chan cohort, Mars, or Fo Seng is his Chinese name. Uh, of course, he was in uh, the first Police Story and a lot of other Jackie Chan films, uh, adding more continuity from uh, the first one to the sequel. And here's another, I think, very uh, subtle piece of filmmaking, uh, just gentle crossfades conveying quite a complex emotional situation, which I think most of us have been in at some time in our lives. Uh, lesser directors would have probably have a very heavy-handed uh, actor looking at his watch shot in a crossfade. If he wasn't crazy at the start of the film, <laughs> this lawyer has lost it now. And once again, you know, a, a man with a gun pointing it at Maggie Chung uh, could be a very menacing moment, but his acting takes the edge off there. Uh, you know it's not going to turn out too nasty, even before he squirts the ink in her face. And here, I think, uh, the best action scene in the film. You'll notice that uh, in a lot of these scenes, Jackie wears jackets, 
And the very simple reason why people wear jackets in these movies is that they can put pads over their forearms and their elbows. It's not very often you'll see uh, stripped to the waist uh, kung fu battles like in Yesteryear or, or actors in T-shirts or singlets. And that uh, chap holding Jackie on the right hand of the screen is uh, stuntman Rocky Ligon Gun, or a gun as he's known. He's now bald. Uh, he was doubling for an actor called Jeff Falcon on a film called Top Squad, or Inspectors Wear Skirts, and he had to have his hair bleached blonde. And the very corrosive substance they used on his hair meant that most of his hair fell out. So now Rocky Ligon is more recognizable. Uh, as a bald chap rather than a guy with hair. And his brother appears later on in this film in uh, the end fight sequence, very memorable character, Benny Lai, who's also interviewed on this DVD, uh, plays the very impressive kicking, deaf and dumb bad guy. Now the action seems fast here and uh, a lot of people, uh, of course, say, yes, Hong Kong films do get sped up, but uh, when they are sped up, it's nothing like you'd think they were. It's not like these things are shot at double speed. Now, usually movies are, are shot at 24 frames a second, and then on uh, a PAL DVD, it'll be 25. The most uh, these films will be sped up is usually when they're shot, they might shoot at 22 frames a second. So when it's played back... At 24, there's about a 10% increase in speed, which really isn't that much. Um, if you get to shooting at 20 frames a second or 18, things start to look very jerky. And uh, you can see some jerkiness in some of the running. But really, these guys are, are pretty fast and certainly almost as fast as they appear on the screen. Now, a fight scene like this, like I said, uh, a lot of Hong Kong movies these days, the whole film would be shot in, in less time than a, a fight like this. Uh, one of the interesting things here is those uh, playgrounds in Hong Kong, the, 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 the surface, the floor surface is actually rubber, which means that the stuntmen don't have to put any crash pads on the ground. They can just hit the, hit the deck. But that would hurt. Nice pause there. It's a very frantic fight sequence. There's a pause to let the audience catch their breath. And then we're into, uh, that doesn't look like anywhere near any park I've been to in Hong Kong, uh, another section, a vehicle section to the fight scene. I think that's uh, probably a specially constructed road on a studio back lot. And here it's uh, time to put that Beijing opera training to use to get yourself out of trouble. And I think that's actually uh, two shots from two different takes of the stunt. But uh, somehow it works. And uh, I think I'm watching the man with the golden gun right now.
nice comic moment there. Once again, breaking up the tension. It uh, it seems like Jackie never wants it to get too serious, and even though he puts the characters in peril, it seems like there are moments to remind us that don't worry, this is a Jackie Chan film. It's not going to get too nasty. He comes back to the park. He sees May. She's obviously upset, but um, why did she try and call for backup? Mm. That's what I want to know. What kind of girlfriend is that? Let's a tough boyfriend uh, fight all the gangsters by himself. I think he's better off without her, if you ask me. <laughs> I think this may have been shot in Kowloon Park. It's difficult to tell because uh, things change so quickly in Hong Kong, but... Uh, And, and it wouldn't be too difficult to get access to the park if uh, uh, the Urban Council, as they were then known, uh, gave you permission because the parks in Hong Kong are closed at night, so I think it wouldn't interfere too much. They'd probably have to ask them to turn on the fountains. But uh, once again, this is a film which uh, in, many, uh, in many ways is like a, a promotion for Hong Kong. Yes. So uh, I don't think the government would have any problem granting them permission to mm -hmm. shoot such a film. If it was a triad film and they wanted to shoot two warring gangs chopping each other up in Kowloon Park, I don't think you'd be allowed to do it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps unlike the similar parks in New York or in London, actually Hong Kong parks are very safe to walk through, even like at almost midnight. It's a surprisingly safe place to live. I think Jackie should get arrested for wearing that shirt. I think he's dressed very much uh, as a kind of working-class person. We see Maggie Jung earlier on carrying a Giordano bag, and it's uh, Giordano is just a high street shop, and you'll notice all the characters in the film dress, you know, in very. Uh, plain clothing. There is quite a, a blue-collar sensibility to this film, which predates what Hollywood was doing. It wasn't until Die Hard, which I think was the same year, mm -hmm. that uh, the action hero became uh, an, an ordinary man's hero. Yeah, I and mean, if you... I don't th think this film's influenced by Die Hard at yeah, all. Yeah, if you think of what, you know, the appearance of uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger, who would be uh, Chan's Hollywood contemporaries at, at this time, and indeed they were uh, stars that he admired very much and wanted to work with. They, they give out a very different image to the viewer. And there is kind of an upstairs-downstairs thing conveyed here with the, the rich property developers in their high-rise apartment office building and then the police hard at work. And, Hong Kong society is very much like that. There is a huge divide uh, between rich and poor. There, There is a middle class as such, but the rich people tend to be very rich and the poor people struggle on by, and each year it seems to get worse. And Jackie Chan's appealing to the largest audience here. Indeed. I mean, you can tell the flat that Maggie Chung is living in is is the kind of apartment that an average Hong Kong person would live in whereas the, uh, the residents of the bad guys are always these huge houses that uh, most of us never uh, get a chance to even uh, set foot inside. 
Now we just saw uh, an actor in an early stage of his career just then, that policeman who spoke into his walkie-talkie. Here he is again. Uh, Kenny Ho, the star of Red Wolf later on, and he actually starred in, in a movie produced also by Golden Way called The Red Zone, which was action-directed by the Jackie Chan stunt team, and Ken Loai Gong played a, a bad guy part. Not a bad uh, medium-budget action film. And uh, jaywalking, illegal in Hong Kong, although uh, you wouldn't know it to visit the place. And that chap we're seeing here, he appeared in Police Story Part 1 as a stuntman. That's Ben Lam Guok Ban. Uh, went on to have a reasonably distinguished career as an actor, former stuntman he has turned actor. And uh, here he snatches the policeman's gun. And uh, in those days, the policeman's guns were tied to their belts as a safety precaution. Uh, for some reason, uh, the police force did away with that practice because they said it delayed the chance. That it slowed down withdrawing the gun from its holster. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the number of incidents where policemen have to draw their guns in Hong Kong is very, very low, even though it is on the rise. And uh, uh, sadly, uh, last year, a policeman was shot with his own gun, uh, answering a crank call in a housing estate in uh, the new territories, and a lot of people said if his gun had been tied to him, maybe that wouldn't have happened, and uh, that gun was then used in a subsequent crime, and that's an unsolved murder case. More of the uh, camera on the dolly moving its way, weaving its way through the offices. And we see in the back, and it gets a bit of a pause later on, the... Uh, recruitment poster of Jackie Chan on the motorbike from uh, the first police story. And sometimes you wonder whether this film is trying to remind you and tell you, yes, it is connected to the first film, because they seem to make a lot of efforts to show us that the films are connected. Now, that guy there is a bit part actor and stuntman who appeared in a lot of Jackie Chan films, a guy called Tai Bo. And uh, later on in this scene we'll see uh, a couple of other Hong Kong actors, one of whom has had a very prestigious career in early roles. I really don't know what's up with that disguise, but uh, maybe this is uh, another tribute to the silent movie stars that Jackie Chan so admires. Actually, it rather reminds me of Robert De Niro's look in uh, King of Comedy. <laughs> He seems to have that same bemused expression on his face as well. We see Jackie enjoying a, a glass of beer here. He's staunchly anti-smoking and he'll do uh, adverts to encourage people to quit. But uh, he's not adverse to being seen drinking on screen or to endorse Australian wine as he does in certain commercials. I think he's got his own vineyard maybe or own label. I think there was Jackie Chan wine. There certainly was Jackie Chan Bobo tea. <laughs> A man with his fingers in many pies in the business world. And here we see a very young-looking Lao Ching Wan. 
in one of his earliest screen roles. He's one of Hong Kong's best character actors, if you ask me. Yes, undoubtedly. Uh, Lau achieved fame in the early 90s with the quintessential weepy Celevi Monchery. But uh, he's more recently earned recognition for his work in the films of Johnny Toe, such as The Longest Night and A Hero Never Dies. And uh, he's widely regarded as, as, I think, one of the three or four best actors working today. And the heavy in the denim jacket is Michael Chow, a Hong Kong uh, character, actor, comedian sometime. Uh, he actually is uh, not afraid to do movies which uh, will be compared to those of bigger stars. He did Mr. Mumble, which he starred in, which was his own version of how City Hunter, the comic book, should look on the screen. That came out after Jackie Chan's City Hunter. And he did a film, a comedy called Spirit of the Dragon, which was a Bruce Lee tribute, never actually got a cinema release, uh, went straight to video in Hong Kong, which is very unusual. Uh, but if you ask me, it's certainly as amusing as uh, the best of Chow Sing Chi's films. Mm -hmm. And I can heartily recommend a film he starred in with uh, Michael Wong called The Case of the Cold Fish, which is a very offbeat detective drama set on Lama, I think I seem to recall. Lama Island. Yes. And directed by Jamie Luck. It's a film that hasn't really uh, received its dues, but uh, maybe listeners can check it out. And this is uh, about as racy as it ever gets in a Jackie Chan film. With the exception, of course, of the American edit of uh, The Protector. Uh, Jackie Chan's movies are very, very tame sexually, but he's not adverse to uh, beating up a woman when, <laughs> when the opportunity calls for it. But even that's got a, a Three Stooges element to it when he's slapping her. Of course, if it was Sammo Hong, he'd probably take her head off with a kick <laughs> because Sammo likes to beat the women as equally as the men. He thinks that's only fair, and I, I can't disagree with him if that's what the characters are about. But uh, Jackie's taking it easy most of the time. And this uh, this criminal is is not the the scariest of criminals. He, he really is a, a a bit character just to move the narrative on. Really, his explosives aren't really hidden in the most cunning way. I think the audience just uh, maybe they just Jackie knows his audience just want to, the narrative sped along to the next action set piece, and that's why this scene, this section of the story doesn't drag on at all. And here on the right-hand side we can see Crystal Quark, who appeared in several movies around that time, including Dragons Forever. She played Jackie Chan's uh, legal secretary in that film, who uh -huh. had a crush on him and never got anywhere. And more recently she turned to directing. Uh, she made a film called The Mistress, yeah, The Mistress didn't perform too strongly at the Hong Kong uh, box office, but it did 
received quite a bit of critical attention uh, inside and outside of Hong Kong because quite a pioneering film for Hong Kong. It uh, dealt with the idea of modern-day concubines in, in Hong Kong society and looked at things from a uniquely female point of view and looked at the idea of sexual fantasy from a woman's point of view, which is unusual for Hong Kong because sex is either dealt with in either a pornographic way or a very nudge-nudge, wink-wink, carry-on, Benny Hill kind of style. And another of the uh, women doing the the beating up here is uh, Lung Wan Yu, a former Miss Hong Kong, who some of you may have seen in She Shoots Straight. You see women, uh, policemen, beating up a suspect. Not really the kind of advertisement you think the uh, Royal Hong Kong Police Force would have hoped for at the time. No, I think that's why they made them female characters doing the uh, the attacking to kind of lessen perhaps the objectionable aspects of the scene. I think if it was two, three male policemen doing the beating up, it would probably sit a lot more uneasily uh, within the narrative. You know, and, and once again, that set looks like a dubbing studio <laughs> to me. And here's another bit of product placement, uh, the Jusco on the van. Uh, Jusco is a department store, Japanese-owned uh, department store in Hong Kong. And here we see uh, one of the villains of the piece, uh, not really much of a major role, is John Zheng, Zheng Long, also known as John Chang, uh, a former stuntman and kung fu actor. And just then, uh, I'll point him out again, uh, we just caught a glimpse of his brother, uh, Zheng Hua, a stuntman inside the van. John Zheng's known to fans of kung fu films. He starred in the movie Snake in the Monkey's Shadow. There you go, two brothers in the same shot. And uh, he also uh, appeared in Shaw Brothers films like Shaolin Mantis, uh, made his name as a bit of an action director later on in uh, Western films. He worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport, Kickboxer and Double Impact. And he went on, of course, to choreograph the fights for uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee story uh, and played a bad guy part in that. And uh, not a lot of people know this, but uh, he was actually approached to do the fight scenes for The Matrix long before Yun Peng was uh, involved. But... Uh, didn't work out. And uh, various members of the police CID group we just saw then were uh, Jackie Chan's stunt team members playing the roles. And uh, I don't know whether Jackie Chan was being uh, sponsored by Canon cameras at the time or if he was endorsing their, their products, but he certainly went on to endorse uh, one of their EOS cameras later on, so uh, maybe that's why that uh, police spying vehicle was the way it was. Quick dissolve to night time. I think that was probably done in the editing suite rather than done with any uh, clever camera time lapse. John Jung uh, also appeared in uh, Project A as one of the, the bad guys. He directed a film a couple of years ago, his directorial debut, a film called Treasure Hunters, which uh, he's basically... Uh, John Jung is a big fan of uh, Sub Aqua, 
and uh, he wanted to make a movie with that. That guy has appeared in so many films as a sleazy police informant <laughs> and TV series too. Uh, but I digress. It was basically John Jones' directorial debut. Or he wanted to show a lot of sub-aqua action, make it the first Hong Kong movie with a lot of underwater fight sequences. Um, unfortunately, the budget wasn't too high. He couldn't afford major stars. And even though some of the underwater sequences were pretty impressive, the film got a very limited cinema run in Hong Kong and sunk without <laughs> a trace. Uh, the tension mounts. We kind of expect something very nasty to happen at this moment, but uh, Jackie resists the obvious and instead plays with shadows. And uh, we get uh, we get introduced to probably my favourite character of the piece, and he's certainly someone who made a strong impression with the fans. But here's Mars first to mess things up. The character there is stuntman Benny Lai. I talked about him earlier. His brother's in the film. He's a master, I believe, of Hapkido martial arts. Uh, very good kicker. He has a martial arts school, I think, in North Point on Hong Kong Island. Still active as a stuntman in the business. Um, not doing so many stunts himself these days. He tends to do a lot of the wire work, and he sometimes choreographs. Interestingly enough, he uh, he doubled for Rob Schneider, the actor from Juice Bigelow, when Rob Schneider shot the Van Damme film Knockoff in Hong Kong. And uh, with their similar build and heights, he made a very, very appropriate and very good stunt double. And many people, of course, might think, well, they haven't seen him in other movies. He did this movie and he disappeared without a trace, like so many others. But actually, it's not that unusual for stuntmen in Hong Kong to be given a, a suitable character part and then just to go on and uh, continue being stuntmen and not pursue higher acting careers. Of course, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hong and Yun Biu are stunt people that have gone on to have directing and acting careers. Ching Garlock is another one. But um, it's not unusual. It doesn't mean that just because a stuntman gets a character part and a, and a major fight scene that he's going to go on to become an action star. Another stuntman, for example, Quan Yong. He's tall, striking-looking, a good uh, acrobat with Beijing opera skills. He can kick well. He is the Chinese gentleman fighting alongside Ron Schmerenberg against Jackie at the end of Who Am I? Um, a major fight scene with Jackie Chan. And uh, then he can be seen just doing stunt work in other films, and uh, he even appears in small parts in other Jackie Chan films after Who Am I, like Gorgeous... Accidental Spy, and even Rush Hour. And here we see the remote control car, uh, possibly an idea borrowed from the fourth Dirty Harry film, The Deadpool, which was uh, released the same year, in which Clint Eastwood is pursued by a, a deadly remote control car in a lengthy car chase. I remember about that time uh, kit remote control cars that you had to build yourself by, uh, made by a Japanese company, uh, Tamiya, were very, very popular. They're a bit of a craze. 
We're back at the uh, the conference room. I think we can safely assume that that's a real build uh, office in an office building being used there, simply because uh, this set only appears in, in two major scenes and uh, it would save a lot of money just to rent an office rather than uh, construct one, which would be the usual practice in Hollywood. Indeed, those look a little bit like uh, film awards statuettes there on the right-hand side, so it's quite possible this is a, an office belonging to some film company. That wouldn't be unusual. I know China Star have used their uh, film company premises for sets in uh, a lot of films, like Running Out of Time. I know Jackie Chan likes to say that he did things first and Hollywood did make a, a bomb movie called Blown Away, I think it was, with Tommy Lee Jones. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jackie likes to say, well, I thought of the idea of having a mad crazed bomber before Hollywood. Now uh, this poor guy's been beaten up by the police and now he's going to be beaten up by the gangsters. Dynamite, just in case you thought those were cigars. They've written the name of the explosion <laughs> on there. I think some of the framing is quite interesting here. It's, uh... And we also have the strains of the James Bond theme as well. There we go. That's Zheng Wa, John Zheng's brother. Still very active uh, as a stuntman in Hong Kong. He's known affectionately as Wa Sok, which means Uncle Wa in uh, film circles. Uh, give you an idea of one of his standout stunts. He doubled for Chan Wai Man in uh, Project A2 when Jackie fights Chan Wai Man. He's the guy who does the, the backflip over the banister, falls through a large flower vase and uh, lands on his head and back on the ground about 15 feet below. These, uh, like I said, members of the Jackie Chan stunt team playing the CID there. Interesting cutting here. I wonder how much of that was conceived at script stage, or maybe it was just the editor thought he could tighten things up, but there is a real sense of uh, building tension and uh, I guess a sense of doom. You know, something's about to go off. But where? I, uh, watching this film again, it, re it reminded me of a recent Hong Kong film, uh, Running Out of Time Part 2, in mm -hmm. which Ikin Cheng is playing games with the policeman played by Lao Jingwan, and you always know that something's going to happen, but where it's going to happen and in what fashion is, uh, the whole point, and, uh, 
sure enough, the police get the wool pulled over their, their eyes a few times, and that certainly is what's happening in this movie. So she's sold her moped. We don't see her on it in uh, Police Story 3. That's pretty brutal, but... Uh in a lot of other action films, you would have seen that inglorious close-up with a stunt person set ablaze. Uh, but uh, since it's a woman, maybe, it's shown in long shot. The poor guy gets uh, a much nastier treatment. And uh, here we see one of the uh, major explosions of the films. Uh, Jackie brought in a couple of Americans to... Uh, facilitate those and the whole issue of shooting explosions in Hong Kong has been one of some controversy in uh, recent years uh, on a 1997 film called Downtown Torpedoes there was a series of explosions uh, cars exploding uh, and they were shooting at an air barracks in Sekong and uh, some shrapnel from one of the cars flew 30 feet across the runway and literally sliced open the head of an assistant propsman and he was killed. And of course the government and the police were very critical of the filmmakers for shooting in such an unsafe fashion and the filmmakers retorted with, well we had to shoot it in a rush and we couldn't make adequate preparations because you wouldn't let us shoot explosions. And uh, the governments really tried to clamp down and really regulate the film industry with regards to uh, shooting pyrotechnic scenes and the storage of pyrotechnics. It's very difficult to regulate the Hong Kong film industry because the film industry in Hong Kong is nothing like that in the States or in the UK. There's no union for actors, there's no union for stuntmen, there are guilds. But uh, basically uh, people are always trying to make their movies uh, by cutting costs, doing it the quickest, most cost-efficient way, and uh, they don't really have time to waste asking the government for permits to shoot scenes and certainly they're afraid that if they tell the government they want to blow something up then uh, they're afraid they'll get told not to do it and then they'll be under scrutiny. Uh, the government's even talked about uh, anybody who uses a gun on a set of a film has to have a permit and that goes right down to the extras. Well, to tell you the truth, but my experience on Hong Kong films, they don't know which extras are going to be working until a few hours before they start to shoot. But uh, there are some people like uh, an action director called Bruce Law, Law Layin, who he's very, very keen to uh, emphasize the professionalism and safety of his explosion stunts, and he regularly goes to the States to meet with uh, his counterparts over there. And uh, he actually had a an expert from Hollywood who had years in the fire service come and look at Bruce's stunt facility and see how Bruce stored his pyrotechnic equipment and so on. And he said it was as safe, if not safer, than anything he'd seen in Hollywood. So not all the action people in Hong Kong live up to the cowboy image that the media likes to present sometimes.
And that gentleman there is the late Lewis Roth, a one-time veteran uh, actor in Hong Kong, uh, appeared in another Jackie Chan film, City Hunter, and uh, many, many cheap and nasty ninja movies. And as was the practice at the time, uh, unfortunately dubbed into Cantonese, which is a, a good example of how the film industry's changed over the last 10, 13 years, because uh, today the practice is to uh, inject as much English-speaking dialogue into a film as possible, even if the actors aren't really uh, equipped to do so. That's right. I mean, it's not uh, out of character to have a white policeman, certainly senior policeman, speak in Cantonese because uh, in the Hong Kong police force there are and there were uh, a lot of Western English policemen who learned to speak Cantonese and uh, pretty good Cantonese, and often it was the practice to dub them with a rather silly accent. But uh, certainly uh, these days a lot of Hong Kong films believe that in order to have international flavour... It helps to uh, have more English dialogue. Often it seems more English dialogue than Cantonese dialogue. I think we can see how the tone of the film has changed over the last 10 minutes or so. I mean, even Charlie Cho's performance has become much more restrained now. And Jackie's getting uh, a lot more desperate. and That's quite a jump to, to perform without any kind of mat. Ouch. You'll notice the uh, powder which comes off the ground when that stuntman hits the ground. Uh, it's called power powder in uh, stunt circles, and really it's just talcum powder. And it's added to the floor or maybe to the, the part of someone's body that's about to be hit uh, to add uh, impact on screen. Quite unrealistic when you think about it, but it works. This is uh, about as intense as Jackie Chan tends to get uh, in his self-directed films. I mean, if, if we didn't know that this character he's uh, harassing was such an evil man, we'd think it was a bit much for young, fit Jackie to be harassing an old man on his deathbed. But um, he's a desperate character, and his girlfriend's been taken, and... Uh, Jackie really does seem to push the boundaries with uh, when he plays this character, Karkoi, and people know that Police Story is one of his personal favourite films. I saw that coming. In fact, that's almost exactly the same shot that was used at the end of Police Story. And a bit of a running joke uh, throughout this film. I think that's the third or fourth time he's had his uh, glasses smashed. And it's it's uh, something kind of unique to, to cinema, or unique of Hong Kong cinema compared to cinema around the world, certainly at the time, is that you could mix moments of extreme tension with little bits of slapstick, even within the same scene. And uh, at the time, when you talked about action comedy, you, you thought maybe of the Lethal Weapon movies, which went nowhere near as slapstick. 
And even though we had the glasses smashed, now we're back to the serious business and one of the nastiest scenes in the film. I don't know how Jackie Chan dreams up these things to be done to him, but they can't be pleasant to film. This does remind me somewhat of the scene in uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2 where Rambo's chained up and electrocuted mm -hmm. by Stephen Burkhoff. And, uh, and here we, we have a curious case of uh, life imitating film, I think. Because That's right. Uh, it's a well-known... Uh, thing in Hong Kong circles that uh, Maggie Chung is quite protective of her privacy and very mistrusting of the Hong Kong press and basically the the entertainment reporters as they're nicely called or they're called dogs in Cantonese slang uh, make the people in the English tabloids uh, look very conservative indeed and uh, actually after this film was made there was uh, an episode where a tabloid newspaper printed love letters that a teenage Maggie Chung had written to a boyfriend years ago, which uh, obviously is a pretty tasteless invasion of her privacy. Um, we see a similar thing going on here on the screen years before that actually happened. Uh, Jackie Chan has, has done the opposite before, where... Uh, Manita Moy was obviously it was it was involved in an incident which uh, got well reported on where she was slapped in the face by a triad gangster and she ended up disappearing for a while went into hiding and uh, Jackie was the one that helped her get back into the public eye and gave her prominent roles in Drunken Master 2 and Rumble in the Bronx and in both of those films a man slaps her across the face but uh, I think here we've got a case of Jackie Chan looking through the crystal ball and uh, anticipating something that unfortunately really happened to Maggie Chan. Here we hear uh, Benny Lai's character being referred to Abba because that's the only word he's really capable of saying and Benny, or Akun, as he's known in Cantonese, is often referred to affectionately in stunt circles. He's identified as Abba. So uh, this is how this movie is even how many of his stunt friends remember him. Interesting thing here is the, the whole firecracker thing. Firecrackers and fireworks are actually illegal in Hong Kong. The only fireworks you see are the ones organized by the government and... They usually take place at the harbour at Chinese New Year and on other major occasions. Um, there's no such thing like bonfire nights, and in a concrete hell like Hong Kong, it'd be very difficult to have your own fireworks show. But uh, that line in Way of the Dragon where Bruce Lee says, firecrackers, they're banned in Hong Kong, well, it's true. So uh, actually in the newspaper today, there was a report of a, a new territory's village had its annual uh, festivities for some local festival raided by the police because of their use of firecrackers, so they had to play a CD of firecracker sound effects. So I guess the Hong Kong audience were actually seeing something quite special. These people, these hardened criminals, were clearly real lawbreakers because they possessed their own firecrackers. But the Hong Kong government is happy to send millions of taxpayers' money up in the sky 
in the all in the name of promoting Hong Kong as Asia's world city. This is pretty nasty stuff. Maggie Chung gets a really rough time in these police story movies. And here we see Jackie Chan doing something which uh, he's made a career out of, really putting his character into a seemingly impossible situation and uh, asking the audience to guess how on earth he's going to get out of it. But I think there's always a sense in the audience in Hong Kong that he will get out of it. I mean, don't expect to see him finished off in a tragic ending uh, which, of course, John Woo might do if it was a movie starring Chow Yun-Fat. Indeed. When was the last time you saw a Jackie Chan character die in a movie? He has been uh, killed before, but the only one I can call to mind was New Fist of Fury back in 1976, <laughs> which he got finished off in a hail of bullets at the end of the movie, which uh, was kind of Chow Yun-Fat-like. Uh. It's moments like this where Maggie Chung's not being degraded on screen that she kind of shows the, the promise she, she realised later on in films like In the Mood for Love. She's married to French director Olivier Assayas, who directed her in Irma Vep, and she spends a lot of her time in Paris. And she said, interestingly, in an interview in the newspaper recently, the difference between uh, Parisians who've seen her films and Hong Kong people in Paris, people will approach her and say, thank you for your movie. Uh, in Hong Kong, they'll just stand nearby and whisper to each other, well, she's got a lot of uh, bags under her eyes today and things like that. They've really repaired that police station pretty quickly. And here we get a brief glimpse of the Bank of China building under construction. That really dates the, the film, actually, because... Uh, Bank of China building is probably Hong Kong's most famous buildings, and it was built according to uh, the instructions or advice of a Fong Soi master, or Feng Shui, as it's sometimes known. Uh, the building built in the shape, or it's a Feng Shui interpretation, let's say, of a sword, and the way it's positioned uh, in, a in uh, relation to the other bank buildings in the area is meant to be quite aggressive. So uh, the bank of the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank consulted their feng shui masters and placed some statues of cannons on the top of their building to face the Bank of China. Feng shui is uh, taken very seriously in Hong Kong. And here, once again, we see uh, Jackie Chan playing... Uh, a character that would appeal to the average person in Hong Kong, a loner against the system, not even feeling the support of his colleagues at this moment. Now, Hong Kong is a place where the, uh, the underclass can feel at the mercy of their, uh, their more wealthy countrymen.
fellow citizens. And uh, traditionally, uh, Hong Kong films and Kung Fu films have appealed to underdogs in society, and maybe that's part of the reason why ethnic minorities around the world have have really uh, been drawn towards Hong Kong films and in cities like New York, for example, and in London. And this this sequence uh, really does call to mind the first police story, and in that uh, Karkoy took his su- senior hostage, and uh, for a time was renegade uh, and uh, on the run, not just from the bad guys but also from the police force. And we're driving now through Tokwawan, uh, an area in Kowloon which is. Uh, full of industrial buildings, a lot of film companies there, like Choi Huck's Film Workshop, and uh, not far away from the old Kai Tak Airport, and that's why you can make out signs for the airport there. Indeed, that is the uh, tunnel leading from the airport. And this film was uh, made at a time in international action films, which you might call the era of the physique. I mean, Arnold and Sylvester's biceps were jostling each other for screen space, and uh, I guess Jackie maybe wanted to show off here that he had a fair few, uh, fair bod on himself too. I don't think uh, even now the airport tunnel's ever been that empty. <laughs> Bad guys using some uh, Cantonese uh, swear words there. Nothing too strong. If uh, you use the Cantonese equivalent of the F word in a Hong Kong film, it automatically will get you the uh, Category 3 status, which means your films can only be seen by those over the age of 18. But uh, those lesser, less offensive words are used by the bad guys, rarely used by Jackie himself and... Uh, he used the F word in the protector, the Hollywood film, and he said it didn't really suit him. He's probably right. I think Stallone did a similar thing in Rambo where he tied his headband. <laughs> If you look at the light there, it does look suspiciously like very early morning, and that's like the only kind of time you can shoot a scene like that in Hong Kong because Hong Kong is such a small place. It's very congested. If you cut off a major road, you're like cutting off a major artery of the city, 
Uh, when you see action scenes in Hong Kong films shot in such places, usually they will have been shot for maybe one hour or two hours in the morning of successive Sunday mornings, and usually done without government permission. And now we have a uniquely Jackie Chan way of crossing the road. Kind of puts the jaywalking to shame. Here we see some of the Beijing opera skills being put to use, a bit of tumbling there, and he jumps through that uh, glass window, and then we get a, a shot of another location and a forward roll. Um, I believe the window he jumped through was the wrong one, and only one of them was sugar glass, and apparently he went through the wrong one and cut himself up uh, quite nastily. And you can see that in the outtakes of the film. And that's a typical Hong Kong reaction. You don't just have a guy hit the ground, he hits something on the way to the ground just to make it all that bit more painful. Now here we are way out somewhere, I think like uh, Ching Yi in the New Territories. thing about a location like that is the interior you probably don't have to build you just find a suitable warehouse and uh, you could shoot there round the clock really and light it you don't have to rely on the natural light and a lot of Hong Kong movies of this period you'll see the action scenes were shot in warehouses because if they had to shoot with multiple crews um, 24 hours round the clock to get the film finished on time that was the way to do it And that's the second time Jackie's lobbed something through a glass window in slow motion. Ben Lamb's... Uh one of his better roles was in a film called Tragic Fantasy Tiger of Wan Chai with Simon Yam, which told uh, the true story of, uh, or let's say the, the dramatized versions of true stories which actually involved the film business and gangster figures and ended in a, a pretty grisly murder in Macau. You'll notice that uh, Jackie's got that jacket on because uh, he'll need to be padded up. It's nice and loose, so you can fit good back pads under there and that kind of thing when it's time to take a knock. And now it's time. But notice the length of each shot compared with the norm for today. That's right. These days... Uh, it's very choppy, the uh, action style. 
the cutting of an action fight scene like this today would probably be like two second shots at most. So in, in many ways, the actual martial arts skills of the actor becomes fairly redundant. And Whereas here, the, the whole point is to showcase Jackie Chan's abilities and, well, of course, well. his willingness to take risks. And uh, Maggie Chung had to take uh, some risks of her own on this film, and this sequence uh, had a nasty turn for her. They did one take of this uh, action coming up, and it was absolutely okay. Here we go. That was okay, but on uh, another take, one of the metal frames came down on her head, and she had to have, I think it was 15 stitches. And uh, you can see some of that, the aftermath of that, in the outtakes. Uh, these movies are fun to watch, but not always fun to make. I broke my finger on high binders. <laughs> but uh, Maggie said in an interview that Jackie actually wasn't on location when they did this, uh, which gives you an idea that even though he's their overall director and action director, his films are uh, a collaborative effort, which he oversees. And he was probably shooting one of the more intricate battles and that supposedly simple scene with Benny and Maggie was something he entrusted to uh, some of his uh, assistant action directors on his stunt team. Would you think Jackie's films are normally shot in sequence? Um, from what I hear, um, we lost a scene near the end that was meant to be shot due to Maggie Jung's injury, yet it presumably didn't affect anything earlier in the film, so suggesting that the film had been entirely shot in sequence. I don't think films are usually shot completely in sequence, but it's not unusual for the main action set piece at the end to be shot towards the end, because Hong Kong films, even though they can sometimes have scripts, are, how do I say, improvisational affairs, and certainly uh, plot changes forced by circumstances of schedule may be might influence the outcome of an end uh, action scene, so it would be wise to leave it to the end. And then in terms of shooting the action scene in sequence, because uh, the fights aren't usually planned ahead in terms of choreography, maybe just a few standout stunts are. You would shoot it in sequence mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, shot by shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an understandable expression on his face. They, this guy's been through a lot. And you can see in this reaction coming up some of how uh, Beijing opera skill can be put to use on screen. Of course, Beijing opera might look very archaic to fans of modern-day action cinema, but the kind of tumbling and flipping they learnt to perform on a stage with a hard wooden floor gave them a sense of body timing and spatial awareness which comes into use when performing stunts where you have to turn your body safely in the air so that you land well. Great kick coming up here from Benny. That is on a wire, uh, even though he can perform it without, but by putting it on a wire and showing it in slow motion, he's able to extend his legs and the technique is more clean. He did actually uh, throw an extra kick there which landed on Jackie's leg and that was edited out. And uh, something you don't usually see in a Hollywood film, 
usually uh, punches are pulled and they use false perspective, but that kick definitely connected. And that's one thing Hong Kong films uh, had going for them, which other Western, uh, other action films uh, didn't, is that uh, the action, even though it's very stylized, you can see real contact. And I'm sure you felt it on a few occasions. I have. Uh, you know, there are ways they can trick it. Sometimes they will show a slow motion kick to the face, and really the kick you're receiving isn't full out power. But when it's shown in slow motion, the audience subconsciously accepts that it happened in real speed and real time, uh, real power. But uh, certainly here, Jackie's taking some real knocks. That helps the audience to identify with him. He never tries to be a superhero in the way that uh, Bruce Lee was. Of course, a lot of people watch Bruce Lee's films and want to be him, but it seems unattainable. If you see Jackie Chan as a hero, it's thinking mm -hmm. it's a lot more possible. And uh, a lot of the time, even though Jackie's an immensely skilled performer, it's through luck that he succeeds, perseverance and uh, guts. Here we see Jackie in surprisingly sadistic mood. This is very sadistic, and it kind of been pleasant for uh, Benny there. You can see that Benny's face is kind of shiny. Um, it's probably because he's got fireproof gel protecting his hair and his face, because uh, when you're doing a fire stunt, uh, you don't have to be touched by the flames to get injured. Uh, the heat alone can scorch and blister you, and if the fire does touch your hair, uh, you're in real trouble. Uh, a lot of people might not know this, but fire gel is quite expensive stuff. So uh, a cheap alternative that's used on some productions is uh, actually KY jelly. I've uh, I've rubbed KY yeah. jelly into one of my best friend's eyebrows before, <laughs> before he was set on fire, I should add. And now we're back in fireworks mode, and I think at the time the biggest... Uh, explosion in Hong Kong movie history coming up. I think you can tell that's a specially constructed set, probably an empty shell. Uh, but Jackie Chan is, is definitely in the thick of the action. It's quite funny that on one of the uh, new government uh, infomercials that appears on the TV in Hong Kong urging uh, members of the film community and the Hong Kong populace at large to work in cooperation. We see explosions from Crime Story and Jackie running through the Kowloon walled city as it blows up behind him. And that's actually an explosion which, uh, from what I can gather, was shot without police being informed. And Jackie says to Maggie, don't the fireworks look beautiful? Well, it's... Uh, he certainly goes out with a bang. And we're now treated to what's customary and only polite for a Jackie Chan film to end with. Uh, scenes from the making of the movie and also some of the nasty outtakes that show that his films uh, may be fun for you to sit and watch, but a lot of hard work and literal blood, sweat, and tears goes into the making of them. And we get to hear another example of Jackie's singing, too. There goes Maggie Chung. Now, if that was a Hollywood film, or if there had been more time, 
Um, I, I can't imagine they would have shot it with with real metal frames. I would have thought the the top part would have at least had uh, rubber covering on it. I, I certainly don't think a, a Hollywood actress would uh, be required to do that, and I think if she was, the insurers would go bananas. But uh, maybe these days even a Hong Kong actress wouldn't be expected to do that. Yes, although Cecilia Chung recently ended up in hospital after performing a a dangerous stunt for charity for a television show. So maybe Hong Kong actors are still a little braver than their Hollywood counterparts. (laughs) And Jackie's certainly brave enough to let the audience see that even though he is incredibly talented and skilled and sets himself very hard things to do, he sometimes... Well, NG, which in Cantonese means no good, and that's how they refer to a shot which doesn't work. It's an NG. And I think it's part of his ability that as soon as the action's over, he doesn't mind destroying the illusion of the movie and and showing it in making, uh, but also showing that He's a hero uh, as the film's being made, not just on screen, which adds to his immense popularity. And that's got to be every cameraman in Hong Kong. Indeed. And if uh, you look at certain shots here, you can see producer Chen Shiwa, the man with the, the funny beard on the set. There we are talking. It's uh, been a pleasure sharing this film with you. I'm Jude Poyer. And I'm Miles Wood. Thanks for watching.